Welcome back, everyone, to The Deeper Cut, a podcast ministry of Mercy Hill Presbyterian Church. I am Tim Pasek. I'm a ruling elder at Mercy Hill, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host and our pastor, Phil Henry. Phil, how are you? I'm well. Thank you, Tim. I feel like I could just record that one time and just insert it every single week because I do the same thing. I've fallen into a rut, maybe. I need need to switch it up. You you have that that much underappreciated but enormously valuable gift of consistency. (laughs) Well, lest anybody forget, um, there could have been five or ten takes of that before you hear this one. That is not the case today, but um, the magic of of, uh, not hearing things live. But anyway, um, it is another beautiful day here in South Jersey in... uh, in Phil's studies, a.k.a. our recording studio, and we are joined today by a special guest who, um, to those who are loyal listeners of the podcast, will, will not be new. Uh, he's joined us a few times before, but Phil, would you do the honors of uh, I will. introducing our guest for the day? I will. Aaron Gregus, welcome, brother. Thanks. Good to be here. Thanks for joining us, and um, we, we love it when your work schedule enables you to take these mornings and set aside some time for, for uh, uh, a good discussion on, uh, on the Sunday sermon and, and whatever else might, might come, into the, come into, the, into the stream. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. <coughs> so we are um, two weeks into chapter four in First Peter, right? So we're, we're still going through um, Peter's first letter to the church. And this past Sunday, Phil, you had before you verses 7 through 11. Mm-hmm. Um, anything context-wise that we need to keep in mind? Yes, so our passage in verse 11 ends with a doxology. Did you notice that? I did, yeah. I think the sermon went a little long. I don't know the, the time, but I got started late, and then I... I took all my time and then maybe a little bit more. The sermon did not run long as it was. Per I think it average. Was 43 minutes or okay. something like that. So it was okay. about standard. We did get started late because of a couple other late. things in, yeah. the ser- in the service. So Okay. But um, I, I didn't plan to go into the doxology, but it does end with a doxology. Mm-hmm. So as Bible readers, and I'm encouraging both of you and and our listeners to always grow in our ability to read the scriptures, seeing a doxology in the middle of a letter. Thoughts on that? Can you think of any other place where that happens, or just did you even give any thought to it? What do you think, Aaron? Uh, I didn't give any thought to it today, but um, I don't know where in Paul's letters, but I know that it, that does occur. It does occur. Yeah. It's actually more common in the middle of a letter than at the end of a letter. So I, I think it feels a little bit like an end, though, doesn't it? Like it's, like it's a strong period. If there's no punctuation in the original Greek and there wasn't, this certainly feels like, a, like an exclamation point. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And just, just for everyone listening, what we're referring to is verse 11, 
when Peter um, says to him, be long glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Correct. And a doxa in Greek means glory. And a doxology is a, a glorifying word, logos, doxo, logos, or a, glor- uh, a God-glorifying phrase or a statement which, in a short and pithy manner, exclaims kind of an, ex- an exclamatory praise to God. So it's a God-directed word right. of praise. Right. Doxology. And it, and it ends our passage and as with Paul one gets the feeling that Peter just has gotten way out over his skis <laughs> and he's taken a tumble in in and not not that he's hurting himself here but he just he, he's almost lost lost track of his thinking and he's just he's so overwhelmed with what he's just said not even in 7 to 11 but maybe going all the way back to chapter 3, verse 8, that he just has to pause and render glory to God. So, but as readers, in terms of our context, it does signify that we've somewhat come to the end of a section. And 4.12, in a lot of the the literature, begins our our final, kind of our final descent to uh, finish out 1 Peter. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a helpful, um, helpful note. I'm sure it was helpful for you, you know, forming a pericope and, mm-hmm. and figuring out mm-hmm. when you're planning the sermons, you know, where to, where to mm-hmm. cut off. Um, but from last week to this week, any kind of hooks? Yeah. Good, good question. So ESV and NIV both suppress the connecting word. There's a, there's a word that can, it's, it's a like connection. It's not like a therefore, or, or which you'll see. But I, I think we had that actually in four, ch- chapter 4, verse 1. But there is a light connection in Greek between verse 6 and verse 7 that's left out of the English. Mm. And um, it's kind of like so, or and, or, you know, like a semicolon almost. Gotcha. There's a link, but it's a it's a soft link. Gotcha. So we, we should ask, and I, I explored this a little bit in the sermon, what is the connection between verse 6 and verse 7? Taking a look at that, what do you notice, Aaron? Or, or Tim, you can weigh in on it yeah. too. So verse 6 is for this in the ESV, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. And then verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Yeah, just pause there. So so the, the, the so is would precede the word the in English yeah. if we were to include it. So yeah, it almost comma. feels like it should, like it needs to be there. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yep. Or a because the yeah, end of all things is yeah, at possibly. hand. Possibly, that's that's that would be making a stronger statement than you would want to make in an English translation because you're yeah, saying more definitively this is what this little connector means, and it isn't quite clear 
what connection Peter intends, and so they leave it off because they don't want to, out of reverence for the word, they don't want to overinterpret, right? So they leave yeah. that they leave that to to the deeper cut, which is what we're doing. <laughs> um, what I said in the in on Sunday, Aaron, and what I and what I didn't say is live in the spirit the way God does. These are people that are deceased and are now uh, fully glorified. That's the argument that I made as to what preaching to the dead means. But can't we also say that we are called to live in the spirit the way God does? Yeah. And when I mentioned that we're seated in the heavenly places in Christ, that's really what I'm saying. It's a, it's it's Paul's version of walking in the spirit. So since Jesus has been raised from the dead, we are called to walk in the Spirit. Since the end of all things is at hand, walk in the Spirit. And he proceeds to talk about what that looks like in the church. So it, it's, 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 an, it's an interesting connection because we go from this strange statement about preaching to the dead. Also a good reason the ESV kind of wants to... They don't want to confuse things any further. Yeah. So by, by suppressing the connecting word, it lets you move on in your mind from a pretty obscure verse to something that's actually quite clear. You're saying that verse 7 is quite clear? I think it's pretty clear. Uh, I mean, I personally don't disagree with you, but I f- would feel like that verse, the end of all things is at hand, might uh-huh. be not so clear uh-huh. to people as well. Yeah, yeah that's, um, that's true. Um, in, in Clowney's commentary, he said that when we read this, we might picture a long-haired, bearded, wild-eyed man clothed in rags with a sign on his chest <laughs> on the city corner <laughs> shouting, the end of all things is at hand. But that's not what's being said here. Yeah. Um, what did you get from that part of the message, Aaron? And uh, what are your thoughts there? Well, I think that's uh, very important to understand that. And uh, given the whole uh, the, the whole scope of the New Testament and the message of even Peter on the day of Pentecost, what's he saying as a response to the Spirit being poured out? He says, this is to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, obviously quoting Joel 2, that the last days have begun because of the resurrection and ascension of Christ into heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that uh, we, we kind of get nervous by the term eschatology because we, we often just um, place it as last things as, he, as in what will happen immediately preceding Christ's return. Mm-hmm. I think the New Testament writers define it differently. I think they define it as uh, the fulfillment of the long awaited expectations of the Israelites, of the restoration of Israel, of the messianic king who would come reign and rule over God's people, mm-hmm. of God dwelling with his people in a new temple. And the, almost the, the gospel message is a proclamation that God has begun to fulfill these long-awaited eschatological expectations in a way that maybe first century uh, Israelites wouldn't recognize because they saw it in such uh, narrow terms. N- narrow and concrete terms, exactly. Yeah. 
I think the other reason we're afraid of eschatology is we just don't know how to spell it. Yeah. <laughs> that might be it as well. Yeah. So my, my children, um, because they are grown and because I raised them way too, uh, I raised them too, too good for, you know, be better than I should have, they let me know when I use the E word in a sermon and they chastise me for it. Oh, you got a little uh, eschatology in there, Pastor Phil. Yes. <laughs> so. Well, to be fair, the E word shows up as the second word in the in the. I I, I think in it the does. passage. I think it does. Um. So yeah, so uh, gr great insight to that, Aaron. And the wild-eyed man on the street corner, we might say, is not self-controlled and sober-minded. Mm, yeah that there's a the, the call to action in light of the end is quite different than perhaps what we would think which is a as i said a clear-headed prayer and actually the word tim did you notice that prayer is plural for the sake of your prayers right yeah thoughts did you notice that i mean i didn't mention it i didn't i, I didn't give a stab as to what that might what that might suggest. A hint would be the overall context of these verses is what? Well, yeah, so my initial thought is this isn't, like I don't, not multiple prayers for me, but prayers of, ever, of the church. So there's a corporate, right. an ecclesial. Um, ecclesial sounds too, uh, I don't know, much like Christendom <laughs> or highbrow, yeah. but but this is the fellowship. This is the pe the prayers of the right, people. The brotherhood is, is the, Peter would the brotherhood. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then in eight he says, "Above all, keep loving one another." So, so and one another appears twice in our passage, two or three times. So so prayers may suggest that the congregation praying together is in a clear-headed way, plural, is the first activity hmm. that's called for in light of the resurrection of Christ. Now that's, that's saying something. Uh, I, I'm not sure how well we do at this. Um, the joke is if you want to, if you want to ensure that it will be a, 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 a lightly attended event, call for a prayer meeting, right? Maybe if we had Peter's uh, clear-headedness about us as a church, hmm. that would be the opposite. A prayer meeting would bring everyone out. As it is, what brings everyone out is a meeting to talk about the budget and spending too much or, or you know, something like that. The color of the sanctuary carpet, that's the, the trope. <laughs> Yep. We're going to spend $50,000 to change the sanctuary carpet from brown to blue. You know, that'll really bring the people out. So we're, we're praying. Um, what... 
what is the importance of being clear-minded in our prayers, in our congregational, individual or corporate prayers? Why is clear-minded? And, and uh, what did you think of how I tried to explain that on Sunday? I, just as a reminder, I said that self-controlled and sober-minded were, uh, hendiatus is the word that's two words to describe the same thing. Yeah. So um, this character on the stage, it's the final act. The character on the stage is um, the clear thinker. Um, <laughs> I did give a shout out to Will and Sarah and their playwright playwriting aspirations yep um, <laughs> maybe the, maybe the charismatic is the guy with the with the board on his the, the wild-eyed guy with the with the board on his uh, say, saying the end is near but hmm. why is why is clear-mindedness particularly with regard to the gospel why is that important I think in just a, a general sense, obviously what we believe and our ideas have consequences in our lives and how we live our lives. Um, and in regards to uh, having a clear mind because the end is near, we need to know where we are in redemptive history. We need to know um, what God is doing in history and how that affects our individual lives as well. Um, and in order to pray effectively and in order to live a life of uh, devotion to the Lord and obedience to Christ's commandments, we certainly need to know, we need to have a clear mind about what those commandments are mm. and, and what all, God has done in history through Christ. So we have the redemptive historical context of being clear-minded. That's yeah. key. And that's worth unpacking a little bit more, actually. But then we have the context of obedience that's also key. By implication, Aaron, it's key that we know what he hasn't commanded. So there's a great deal of freedom. Yeah. And I think Christians can become foggy-brained or, or uh, unclear in their prayers when we're devoting ourselves to things that God hasn't commanded, not just sinful things, but good things that we elevate to the level of commands that in fact are... are, are our liberties. So it's not good behavior in these last days in the dawning, uh, in the, the pale light of the dawn of the resurrection, you know, the end of all things, the final act. It's, it's extremely confusing when Christians highlight secondary areas of liberty to the level of being primary areas of obedience. And we take ourselves out of the mission when we do that, just like we do when we try to cut out one of the Ten Commandments as if it weren't relevant. So both, it's a both-and situation. And it's confusing when the world sees Christians ignoring the Ten Commandments as well as making other things into commands that aren't. Um, our place in redemptive history, though, I, I wanted to unpack that a little bit more. What about the resurrection having already taken place, 
meaning the resurrection of Christ, not the general resurrection, how does that contribute to having a clear mind in our prayers? Any thoughts on that, Tim? <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, so I think... Um, we are we're given through the spirit the mind of Christ and you've preached that this Sunday and last Sunday mm -hmm. um, I go back to 4 1 and 2 Peter writes since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh arm yourselves with the same way of mm -hmm. thinking mm -hmm. mind of Christ yeah. for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So I think, Peter, your question of, yeah. you know, why clear-mindedness, well, they're, they're, I think that's Peter's answer. That's good. That's good. Um, I tried to double-dip there and answer both your questions at once. That's good. There is a... Hu so I'm going to add to that what I'm thinking. There's a humility... Um, a, a right sense of what I can can and can't accomplish. I was uh, this weekend, and I'm, I'm gonna uh, I'll re reference this again in a little bit too, a little bit of a personal story. But there were a, a number of trials in the Henry household this weekend, and uh, a couple of them were quite serious. And having a clear mind means, on the one hand just like I was talking about obedience, there's two things to avoid. On the one hand, I have a right sense of what I can't accomplish. Hmm. Uh, I can't raise the dead. Jesus can. So there's a humility that that's going to keep things sharply in focus. I mentioned the eye doctor and you know two images and, and so forth. Uh, when I'm trying to play God, in your life or the life of my kids or, or my wife or my, my ministry, uh, that's very confusing to others and to me. And I'm going to be very ineffective, uh, at least from God's standpoint, even though kind of people who play God and kind of their kind of the mini Pope syndrome is, is quite prevalent in uh, certainly Protestantism. Um, cat, Catholics have a pope, so no one needs to play pope. <laughs> um, but what about the other? If, if I walk around as a defeated believer, acting as if Jesus had stayed in the tomb, doesn't that also contribute to kind of fogginess and unclarity in my prayers? So either too much confidence in my ability or not enough confidence in Christ and what he has done. So in sharing some of my, I mentioned personal uh, challenges, I shared with a fellow pastor that I was really going through, uh, I had a pretty, pretty difficult situation. And he said, I'm, I'm praying for you, brother. If, if that man, Jesus, got up and walked out of the tomb, all will be well. Hmm. And I was just, it was, it, speaking of clear-minded, it was like a bucket of cold water, like it instantly brought clarity to where, and I, I literally responded to that by going to my knees in prayer. That clarity is what I needed to get to praying.
So, um, reaction to that, either of you? How do I get some of that every every day? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. One of the things, and we, we talked about this last week, um, one of the things that struck me really in, in throughout Peter's letter, but particularly the, the past couple of sections that we've um, talked about, is just kind of the, the urgency and the um, weight of it. Like it's the gravity. That's mm-hmm. the word I'm looking for, the gravity, you know. So even um, I think last week in our homiletics discussion, we talked about sermon titles mm-hmm. and, and things like that. And so what time is it? This week you answered your question from last week. Indeed, I did. The, fi- the final what time act. Is it? It's the final act. Um, but both of those things, you know, really bring the weight of what Peter's talking about. And it's like, you, if you really take this to heart, you, you can't not um, at least in every fiber of your body want to do something or be motivated or. Say, how do I get how do I get that in my mind every day? Mm-hmm. You know, because you, you can't just sit there on the couch and just be like, eh, whatever. I'm going to be complacent about this. Um, and and going back to the image of, you know, the the bearded guy on the street with a sign, that's not at all. That's not the call to action that we're getting. Mm-hmm. You know, it's but nevertheless, it's not sit on the couch and do nothing. True. Right. So I think that's a. Which, which character, uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here, Aaron, which character did you most identify with in my, I said it's the final act, we've got four characters on the stage, we've got the clear thinker, let's see if I could, we had the uh, sacrificial lover, um, and I, by the way, if I were really, like, you know, on my game, I could have probably located these characters in Shakespeare's plays, right? Yeah. So, so the sacrificial lover was number two. The mm-hmm. third character was the cheerful host. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth character was the charismatic. Yeah, I, I think uh, the first one will probably be yeah. a little more fitting for me. I, okay. Definitely not thinking. the last one. but <laughs> No? Well, I was using, I was stretching charismatic. Yeah, I, I yeah. In a, in a. In a, in a fraternal way. Yeah. Hmm. So you're saying the the charismatic is is the the weakest point for you? Maybe a little bit. I, I don't know. I, I feel like I have weaknesses in all these areas. Okay. But sure. I, I'm certainly, uh, you know, I, I think I would identify with the the clear thinker just because I'm I'm always trying to figure things out and mm-hmm. think clearly about things and, mm-hmm. and study um, almost to the neglect of some of the other aspects mm-hmm. that I should be mm-hmm. uh, doing in my life actively. <clears throat> well, and it, it was a little bit of a trick question, but you've, you've actually hinted at the answer. We are called to all four of them, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You guys got that from the sermon. Like, we, we don't get to pick. Yeah. Well, I want to be the cheerful host and let others work on the charismatic and the clear thinking. Yeah. Like the, these are all four roles that 
we each have to play. Uh, we don't get the, the luxury of letting someone else be the sacrificial lover. Although it's, I think, like the fruit and the spirit, I think it is apropos at times to concentrate maybe on one or the other of these roles. You know, really work on your service in the church. That would be the, the charismatic. You know, what are my gifts? My yep. Charisma. So. <laughs> I, I know that both of you uh, are homeowners and fairly recent. I mean, Aaron, you, uh, of the three of us, you've purchased your home most recently. Did you and your wife, in purchasing the home, talk about hospitality? We did, yeah. Let us in a little bit on that conversation. Um, so the main reason why we sold our, our last home and bought a new one was because we were having another child. And our last home was pretty small. And also it was uh, pretty far out of the way from everybody in the church. So I know Grace and I had wanted to have more people over and be hospitable. And uh, we were the only family in the church that lived in Atlanta County. So everybody else is, there's somewhat of a cluster of, of, you know, where people are located. Right. But we were the one extreme all the way out, you know, going, if you're going down the shore, you might pass us. That's so. right. That's right. So we, we were looking in an area closer to the church, but also closer to families of the church so that we can... Uh, we would be able to host others and also something a little more spacious. So mm -hmm. it actually was one of the main factors in uh, the home we purchased. And now you're in Salem County or Gloucester County? Salem County. Salem. So you're getting closer. I'm getting closer. There, there's some, <laughs> there, at least there's some people around. You there, know? Are, there are. <laughs> Maybe the next move, the church will move closer to you. Might, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Um, let us in on, uh, Tim, you're, you're a great host as is Allie, let us in on some of your family values when it comes to hospitality, brother. Yeah, we've, um, we've tried to be extremely intentional um, with our home and how we use our home. Um, I want our kids to not be able to or always be able to remember a time when we've had people in our house, like at all times, not not literally all times, but as, as much as humanly possible, strangers and, and friends and family. Um, so, you know, same, same or a similar situation to Aaron and, and Grace. We were two years in our home now, or approaching that in Molka Hill. And, um, um, you know, we specifically were looking for a home that we could we could have people over as often as as possible for meals, for prayer, for just spending time with one another. Um, pool parties. Pool parties. Yeah, we had family fellowship last night. We had I don't know twenty eight people at our house. That's our standard family fellowship at this point. Mm -hmm. um, where the kids outnumber the adults, and um, I'm pretty sore today from the more children tackling me. Oh boy! In the pool, but it was it was great, and and we like I said, we were very intentional about that. We, I don't think a weekend goes by where we don't have at least one night of 
meals of somebody coming over. Um, and, and we look at it as that's nothing special. We just want that to be the norm. In and our so home. this, this is a decision you made when purchasing the home. It's a decision you make with our budget, with your family finances. Mm-hmm. It's, you have to make it with your work schedule, uh, with her work schedule, with your kids expectations. It's a, it's a holistic, it's a lifestyle choice. As is, I will add, uh, I mentioned a man's home is his castle. That's also a lifestyle choice. You know, when the carpet can't be walked on by muddy shoes, when there are breakable things at knee level, when uh, there are expensive toys in every room that uh, new fresh eyes might take a liking to, or you're afraid that someone might take a liking. When, when the yard is immaculate and can't be torn up by car tires or muddy feet or children or animals, I mean, it's, it's a lifestyle choice. When you so create a life that you just can't afford to have other people mess it up. Mm-hmm. Um, that's 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 what the Gentiles do. Unfortunately, there are a number of Christians that fall into that trap. Sometimes, because they're they're a part of church communities that don't encourage the fellowship of the saints, so. Um, I focused on, I, I, I cherry-picked homelessness mm-hmm. just because it's, it's dramatic. So if either of you have had someone live in your home long-term, by that I mean longer than a week, has that ever been a, something you've done, Aaron? In, in my home growing up, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And was that a good experience for you to see, or did it go well for your parents, or did it go badly? or? Yeah, there was... There was a lot of times we had uh, different college students or um, people who were church interns stay with us mm-hmm. um, for extended periods of times, and they were usually times of blessing for yeah. for us. It's formative, isn't it, on a child when you see yeah. that your parents don't just have people over for a meal, but they're actually giving shelter to someone who's in ministry. Or um, I don't know if either of you are familiar with the phrase "the prophet's chamber." No, no, no? I don't think so. So it's a biblical reference to the room that Elijah stayed in. Mm. Sometimes it's called the Elijah room. Uh, that might be worth uh, checking out and uh, even reading that passage. I don't, I don't have it on my fingertips at the moment, but when I was preparing the sermon, I thought back to the many times when I was visiting New Jersey and hosted by Christians so that I didn't have to pay for a hotel, i.e. raise money to pay for a hotel, and my Christian support team in Tucson, Arizona, where I moved here from 15 years ago, they, I had was given frequent flyer points to travel out here, so I was hosted on both sides, mm. hosted to go, and then hosted when I was here. And many of those hosts never set foot in the worship service of the church that became to be, came to be known as Mercy Hill. But in their kingdom-mindedness, entertained me, a traveling prophet, if I may put it in those terms. Now, I'm not trying to elevate myself, but just to put it kind of in a raw biblical category. 
here's a prophet traveling through, an evangelist, and uh, he needs a place to stay. I could have stayed in a hotel. It wouldn't have been as interesting. I wouldn't have had somebody to prepare a home-cooked meal for me. You know, for, for men traveling, we always have to make plans for accountability, and it was a little more accountability in someone's home. Um, uh, it was kinder, gentler. You know, a hotel is a, it's a kind of a nasty place. It's, it's cold. Even in a nice hotel, it's, there's a bit of unfeelingness about it. So we, we formed bonds of friendship. Those people uh, adopted me, in some cases, as a prayer partner some cases financial supporter beyond even just my lodgings. Um, some of those people became lifelong friends. Mm. So hospitality within the community of Christians is still relevant even in an age of Airbnbs, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. Other thoughts about the message? Uh, uh, any critiques of the sermon? We, we don't often do that, but uh, anything you would give constructive critique to the preacher, I'm right here. I'm, I won't bite, I promise. That's because you're behind a microphone. You'd have to climb through a couple of things to, I to bite us. <laughs> I could literally bring the boom down on you, though, couldn't I? <laughs> microphone stand. I don't know. Uh, this isn't a critique of your sermon at all, Phil. I don't know if there... If, you got the sense, and you you kind of alluded to, like, you, you recognize your time. I and did. And you were short on it. I did. Which was not your fault. That was just the sermon went, not the sermon, the service up to that point right. went a little long. And so I felt a little bad yeah. for you. Yeah. Because I felt like there, there was still at least a quarter tank full there, you know? Yeah, there was a lot. Of, of stuff to go, and, and you kind of had to start cutting a little bit midstream. Yeah. Yeah. So again, that's not a critique of your sermon. I feel sometimes we get a little sidetracked. Not sidetracked. It's all really good stuff, but mm-hmm. maybe we could do a better job as the session planning when we have a, a bunch of other stuff mm-hmm. on a Sunday morning mm-hmm. to better, um, you know, give you the time. Yeah. And a preacher needs to be careful when he mentions the clock. It has to serve, everything has to serve the, the gospel being preached. So when I mention time, it's my desire to help people keep listening to the gospel, not, I'm trying not to, I don't mention it. Well, to the point of the text, let the one who speaks, speak as speaking the oracles of God. So I want you to hear from God that it's okay, God's saying, Jesus is saying to the church, it's okay if you're worried about the time. You're humans. You live in time. Time's important. So that's, that's why a preacher will mention time. Mm. But I mentioned time that I would be brief, and then I kind of wasn't, <laughs> which is a classic preacher move. And for my last point, in conclusion, finally, you know, like the three conclusion sermon, is it can be distracting <laughs> or or just open yourself up to a little teasing i have um i have one one maybe last question for you in regards to the text and your sermon so you you mentioned um word and deed right 
in, yes. ter- in terms of Colossians three seventeen. Maybe yeah, maybe. and I mean, I, I don't remember Phil if you made the explicit connection, but in eleven, whoever speaks and then whoever serves is that the word indeed that you were, you right. were going with, right? Right. So is that do you think in Peter's mind that's basically all encompassing? Because I, he then ends in order that in everything God may be glorified. Precisely. So the word indeed is everything that Precisely. he's referring to. And the end of all things is near. Above all, be devoted to prayer with a clear head. So that in all things... So Peter has... This is... Peter is accessing with the whole letter but especially in this text, the center lane of the Christian faith, comprehensively, summarily, touching on all aspects of it with his unique sacramental, missiological, eschatological spin. It's, it's overwhelming. It's, it's awesome. But yes, so... He doesn't go in detail like Paul does in Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians 13 or even in Ephesians um, in his characteristic way. Uh, the entire collection of the multifaceted gifts of the church can be summarized in word and deed ministry. And he he's laying the groundwork for talking about elders in chapter 5, but he absolutely is not limiting this the word ministry to ordained preachers. Hmm. So this is more like when Paul says uh, in Ephesians 5, he says, Aaron, you remember this, he says, uh, exhort one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It's that sort of word ministry. It's the one anothering with a kind word, with a challenging, an exhortation, uh, a correction, some instruction. Um, a blessing, uh, a, a word of inspiration. You know, God told me to tell you that that's okay. Um, um, when we go too far down the charismatic spectrum, I, I will start to get a co- uncomfortable. Um, but we can, yeah. we can't just keep our mouths shut with, with one another. We have to speak. And yeah. some of us are better at it than others, and, and that's okay. You you gave me a lot, um, little personal aside, you gave me a lot to chew on as I'm prepping for my exhortation somewhere in Ephesians 4 in equipping the saints yes. to do the work of the ministry for the building up of the, of the church. Yes. So this is what you're just talking about. It's, yes. It's not for the elders. It's not for, you know... Yes, in those fact, ordained. It's I, for the church. I think the Ephesians passage and the Peter passage are probably drawing on. You know, Paul loves ligaments. He loves the body imagery. Mm-hmm. Peter, Peter doesn't go there, mm-hmm. but it's drawing on a common Christian tradition. So Peter certainly was aware of Paul. He might have even been aware of some of Paul's specific teaching in this matter, but he's entirely original in the way that he expresses this idea. Yeah. Aaron, 
any other takeaways from the sermon or comments or questions before we land the plane this morning? Yeah, uh, just something that uh, you said, I think, fairly early on in your, your sermon that I think I appreciate it and, and Grace and I were able to talk about it a little bit after the sermon is the idea that we often, we often speak of salvation as strictly in the future. And we have an underrealized sense of the fact that we are in Christ now. That we're seated with Christ in the heavenlies. That we are united to Christ in his resurrection. And even in his ascension where he is seated at God's right hand and ruling and reigning. We are united to him by the Spirit. And so the scriptures speak of us of as having eternal life now. And even having partaken in the resurrection. Not in a, a full final sense the bodily resurrection but spiritually we've been raised with Christ and I think that if we have a clear mind about that it helps us to live our lives not uh, trying to earn God's rest as if you know we, we everything's all in the future and it, it's hinging on what we do now but living our lives mm -hmm. in obedience to Christ from the rest that we've already entered into mm -hmm. from the eternal life that's already been granted to us in Christ Yes, so that's the clear mind that is Christ-centered, a gospel framework. Yeah. And it should affect the way we are together as a church. And it should affect the strength of our relationships, too. And that gets to the sacrificial lover, which we didn't spend much time on today. But if the gospel framework is what gives us that clear mind and it's not going to be easily disrupted the love of many will grow cold i mentioned yeah. so our love will continue to burn hot even when we're sinned against because we have a clear mind and because we're praying together <clears throat> and the strength that god provides which is how we're to serve in this text will inform everything that we do so so that clear-mindedness in the gospel really does run like a thread through this whole passage. Mm. Um, you can see why Peter mentions it first. Good stuff, guys. Well, uh, we have really only scratched the surface here. We we have a lot more that we could touch. You know, but we only have one deeper cut, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> For now. For now. Maybe someday you can start the deepest cut with somebody oh, no. else. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I will need to listen in on that podcast. We'll leave that one to you, Eric. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, he might have the deepest cut, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you, brothers, and your time today. And, um, Phil, thank you, as always, for your work, your labors in serving our church by preaching God's word faithfully on Sunday mornings. Um, you get a you get Father's Day reprieve next week. Um, you'll be with us. I will be with you, but uh, a father of the church will be preaching. Yes. And the father of one of our ruling elders. This will be his third, third, I think, yeah. third sermon. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Leary is in a, in a kind of a spring and summer series of uh, biography in the life of Peter. We've picked a handful of passages that dip into Peter's life kind of alongside preaching through Peter's letter we're learning about Peter's life mm -hmm. yeah so that would be good to be pick that up again 
Um, but thanks everyone for joining us again this week on the deeper cut. We hope that uh, it's been a blessing to you. I apologize for some of my delays in getting these posted. I will strive <laughs> to be more timely um, and uh, and get this one up uh, before next Sunday's sermon. Uh, but anyway, uh, thanks again for for spending your time with us today on the deeper cut. Pray you be blessed and have a good day. <laughs>